Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice, Episode 3, Friday Fever at 5. I'm your host, Becky Carson. Join us today as we talk through the tough decision on what to do when a patient presents at the most inconvenient time with fever without source. We all know this tough situation, right? It's 5 p.m. on Friday and you can practically taste the happy hour on your tongue when your last patient of the day is a two-year-old female with a fever to 103 and no other symptoms. Or if you're like me, it's 2 a.m. in the ED and your bed is calling your name, but a six-month-old boy with a 102 fever and no other symptoms checks into triage 15 minutes before the end of your shift. So what do you do? Why is this a hard decision? What are the things that you should be thinking about? Well, today is your lucky day. We're going to cover all of this and more on today's episode. Stay tuned. Let's start with some definitions. Fever is anything over 100.4 rectal in babies. We should be taking a rectal temp in children under two. Remember that a fever is a symptom, not a disease. It's not an inherently bad thing. Fever without source is any fever less than eight days duration without other accompanying symptoms, such as rhinorrhea, sore throat, rash, etc. Conversely, fever of unknown origin refers to the same thing, but greater than eight days. So by then, we should really be thinking differently about the etiology of fever. We're not going to talk about fever of unknown origin on today's podcast, but I wanted you to be aware of the difference in the two. Okay, so let's go back to our examples. What else do we need to consider? What are the risks here? Why should or shouldn't we work up these children? We're going to need some more information. First, obviously, gather your history. Get a past medical history, learn about any underlying conditions, the birth history, family history if pertinent. What's the history of present illness? What was the actual temperature the parents took? Where did they take it? How long has it been going on? What are the other risk factors? Are their immunizations up to date? Did they have any sick contacts? Do they go to daycare? Consider the season of the year. Is it spring, summer, fall, winter? Was there any recent travel outside of their hometown, outside of the country? This is obviously not an exhaustive list of questions, but you can let the answers guide your further questioning. Before you make any decisions, complete your physical exam. It is so important to hold your final decision until you've completed a thorough physical exam to avoid introducing cognitive bias into your thought processes. It's called premature closure when you've made up your mind before completing the history and physical, and it's a frequent source of diagnostic error, which can lead to patient harm. Then there's the unique factor of pediatrics that we need to consider, the parents. How reliable are the parents? Do they have transportation? What's their health literacy like? Are they anxious? Can you contact their pediatrician or make contact with someone in the office now or in the near future to ensure follow-up? That's a lot to think about, right? All of that tells you that there might be more than one right answer here. Remember that I often focus on what is reasonable to do based on the information at hand and your knowledge of the evidence, and then you have to build your own practice. Okay, so what's the evidence? 
and how can we use it to guide our thinking? Here's what we know. Most fever is caused by viral illnesses, right? But younger infants are especially at risk for what we call serious bacterial infections, an SBI. That's one more definition for you. An SBI is some kind of invasive infection like bacteremia, a urinary tract infection, pyelonephritis, meningitis, periorbital cellulitis, a septic joint, pneumonia, or cellulitis. Different age groups need different levels of evaluation. For babies under 28 days, the workup is pretty clear. They are the highest risk group and therefore they should most likely have a complete septic and meningitic workup. For fever in the infant 29 to 90 days, there's been much discussion over the years, and this has led to the Rochester criteria, the Philadelphia and Boston criteria, and most recently, the step-by-step. But three to 36 months management can be separated and thought of a little bit differently. In the age of Hib and pneumococcal vaccines, we've seen the rate of occult SBIs drop significantly to about 1% to 2%. This means that the 5% of children who have a bacterial infection when they present with fever without source are often UTIs, sometimes in occult pneumonia depending upon their symptomatology. Urinalysis and culture is recommended in febrile females less than 24 months, uncircumcised males less than 12 months, and all males less than 6 months. Also, consider a chest x-ray if there's some concern for lower respiratory infection, which you might notice with some focal lung sounds, a worsening respiratory status or cough, hypoxia, etc. There was a study by Lee et al. from the Archives of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine from 1998 that suggested that a white blood cell count greater than 10,000 was 86% sensitive and 76% specific for bacteremia. Although those are pretty high numbers, they still account for a large amount of false positives, which increases healthcare costs and causes a lot of stress to families. Conversely, Baraf et al. published recommendations in the Annals of Emergency Medicine in 2000 that were endorsed by the American College of Emergency Physicians in 2003 that essentially says that if they are greater than 90 days, well-appearing, and vaccinated, that a CBC is not necessary. In those cases, occult bacteremia is very rare and most fevers are caused by viruses. Although I'm really big on being a resource savvy provider, look at your patient and the history. If they're a high risk patient, are under vaccinated, meaning that they haven't had at least three Hib and pneumococcal vaccines, or they're ill appearing, they should have labs and consider sending CSF as the rate of meningitis is higher in these patients. Say our patient is well-appearing, vaccinated, her fever was for a few hours, and the parents seem reliable. The AAP has recommendations for the evaluation of fever and UTI. Take a look at them in the show notes. They created an algorithm in 2011 to guide providers towards better evaluating patients 2 to 24 months. In this paper, they acknowledge the difficulty in clinical decision-making and state that the provider's threshold for testing should be based on their clinical suspicion, comfort with the patient's exam and wellness, or lack thereof, and their ability to keep contact with the family. So what should you do? Involve the parents. Involve the PCP. Realize that it would be reasonable to wait to do anything further, or you could do a year analysis and culture with priority on the culture. 
A study of 1,600 patients ages 3 to 36 months with fever without source found that only 43% of low-risk girls and 35% of high-risk girls had a urine sample taken, meaning that providers are likely heeding this algorithm from the AAP rather than the bear-off recommendations. This study concluded that we overuse CBC in blood culture and underuse urinalysis and culture, especially in females. Think about it. A UTI is way more common than bacteremia, and leukocytosis would be a relatively late sign in a UTI. So start with the common things from an epidemiologic perspective and let that guide what labs you're ordering. They also found that antibiotics were prescribed in 25% of visits of fever without source where no testing was done, concluding that providers are inappropriately prescribing antibiotics for viral infections, which is a really big bummer. Say the child looks ill, is not drinking, they're vomiting, they have a significant past medical history or are under-vaccinated. I'd probably go ahead and do a CBC with blood culture, but make sure that you're also getting that urinalysis and culture too. You could consider inflammatory markers. Also consider whether this child needs sepsis management with fluid, pressors, and empiric antibiotics on the short term. If you've got time to evaluate your labs, you can also use a procalcitonin to guide your decision making. Procalcitonin is an acute phase reactant that has become our new marker for severe infection, as it's more sensitive and specific than CRP or the white blood cell count. A procalcitonin less than 0.5 is considered low risk, meaning they're unlikely to have an SBI, with 80% sensitivity and 70% specificity. A procal greater than 2 is considered high risk for SBI, with a 50% sensitivity and 90% specificity. So I bet you're asking, yeah, but what would you do? First off, I'll often involve the parents in the discussion and give them the same research findings that I've just given you, asking them what would make them more comfortable if it would be reasonable to wait or also reasonable to go ahead and get labs. Some parents feel strongly about wanting to play it safe and get whatever testing might be needed right now, while others want to avoid any invasive procedure as long as possible. So if we take our example with the little girl who's had fever for a few hours, she defervesces in the room, she's eating and drinking and playing and pulling on my stethoscope and twirling in the curtain, it would be reasonable to wait 48 hours because she's only had fever for a couple of hours. And we know that a urine cath would be really traumatic for her. Plus, her fever is most likely viral. Even still, you would want to call her PCP give the family anticipatory guidance, and put heavy emphasis on quantifiable return criteria, and then document, document, document your rationale as to why you're waiting to do the labs. Now, let's say that this six-month-old baby boy looks punky. He's not drinking. Maybe he vomits during his PO challenge. He's still tachycardic after his fever goes away. I would definitely go ahead and get the blood and urine on this patient. Sometimes I'm more nervous about seeing parents episodically in the ED. If it's late at night, their transportation is unreliable, or if I can't get in touch with their primary care provider. Younger children can also be more tenuous with their hydration, so this child might need a fluid bolus. You should also worry about any patient who's tachycardic after their fever goes away, as this could be an early sign of sepsis. It's quick and easy to obtain a cath specimen on an infant male, so go ahead and send it 
and it should be available rather quickly for it to guide your decision making. You still need to communicate with the PCP or at least attempt to. And then again, document, document, document. All this is based on my personal style in combination with the evidence. Make sure that you're documenting your rationale when you're making your decisions and follow through with closed loop communication with other providers and family members where necessary. I'd love to hear your thoughts and experiences on your patients with fever without source and what you've uncovered. Comment below or send me questions. Again, I'm your host, Becky Carson, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, do it right for the kids. Take care.